there's lots of things you can deny that you don't like, such as hell or the devil. It's hard to prove those things, but death is in a different category. You cannot deny death because it's something that we see and witness every day. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, September 15, 2013. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our hymn of the day was about death, and that's exactly what we're talking about. We're in a sermon series. You can see, because uh, the sun is not out, a little bit there, death, hell, and the devil. And we're in week number two. In October, we're going to start up another series just to let you know what's coming with grow groups. That's going to be talking about work and then uh, in the, from the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. This is the, the books that Solomon wrote, so we're going to be talking about work. And then closely connected with that is wealth, so we're going to be talking about the connection of work and wealth, at least from the perspective of King Solomon. But now, we're talking about death. Pretty excited, aren't you? Who doesn't like to talk about death? Uh, so we're, we're talking about death today, and this is... Not normally uh, what people like to talk about. So that, to kick off this series, all these topics are not people's favorite. If you run into someone who loves talking about death and hell and the devil, you probably don't hang out with them a lot because it's kind of a little creepy and things like this, and it brings kind of this kind of wet blanket to conversations. So last week we talked about hiding the truth. So if you remember the king that we met or we heard about that was talking about hiding the truth. So think in your head, can you picture it? King Ahab had kind of a five-step. This is what it's supposed to look like in Click On. I never did figure out why they wouldn't click for me. So I just put them all up right there. So I'm going to just review just what we covered last week so you know what we're talking about. Uh, if you want to avoid the truth, there's a couple things you can do. King Ahab decided he wanted to attack Ramoth Gilead ahead of time, and he said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I don't actually care if I get any advice from anyone. This is what I want to do. So if you want to avoid the truth, you just decide what you believe on something. You decide what you want to do before you even asking anyone else. Another easy way to do that is surround yourself with yes people. Uh, he happened to have 400 prophets. That's kind of a lot, I think, 400 people to agree with you. Remember, he said, I'm, I'm thinking about going to it. What do you guys think? 400 prophets. Um, they even built, remember, the iron horn. And this was a pretty elaborate way to say, listen, you should go attack because the Lord is going to put you in his own hand. Uh, the Lord is going to deliver Ramoth Gilead to you. Now, if that doesn't work... And the example I used, like if you get a new hunting jacket or if you get a new purse or something, you know who you have to call in order to agree with you on that purchase, right? So if you're thinking, I don't know if I really should do this, I don't know if I should really buy a vehicle, I don't know if I should really do that, you've got a pretty good idea, even when you know it's not a good idea, who you should call. You, you probably even know who you should call if you just told off your boss and got fired, right? There's special friends like that that you can call up and you're like, listen, I finally told him off or I told her off and I got fired. They would agree with you, even like most practical people like, is that really a good idea? So you know who you'd call and they'd be like, yes, I'm glad you do that. You should do that. No, you can't sleep on my couch. All right, I'll see you later. So you know, you, you just um, you surround yourself with people, yes people, or you just avoid all differing opinions, which usually happens when you've made a decision. If you're afraid to call someone or you're afraid to tell someone, this is what I've done, that might be an indicator that you're kind of like trying to box up and hide the truth about something. So that's another indicator. He did that because Milkiah, uh, the prophet, came and he said, you know, I don't want to talk to this guy. He only prophesies bad things against me. It could be because he's like the most evil king ever. Incidentally, um, as far as history records go, Ahab is one of the more famous kings as far as ancient history. Like we have all these other kings of uh, Israel and Judah that we talk about. Most of them are just like a little blip on the radar. Ahab actually comes up. Uh, do you want, do what you do want anyway. So you make all these decisions. Some people consult and they listen. This is what uh, 
the other king did, the king of Israel and the king of Judah, they got together and said, you know what, we're just going to do this anyway, even though the prophet says we're going to die. And then finally, if you can't get rid of someone, um, uh, you can't stand their message, you just get rid of them, which would be in the last like six months, if someone would told you something and you hung up, that's a, that's a way to get rid of a messenger. You try and delete them or you see their phone calls, you just don't answer it. That's a way that you can kind of avoid the truth and you don't really have to confront it. So this is what we're talking about today. Ultimately, they're talking about death, so I've got a quiz for you. This is like a Mainsa test. Uh, we're trying to avoid the truth. It's always easier, remember, if it's truth that you don't want, just to put in a box and kind of forget about it. I think that's easier. So of these three things, which would be the easiest ones to totally avoid truth with? So we've got death, hell, and the devil. Uh, answer A, B, or C. What if you don't believe in the devil? I mean, how hard is that to avoid? Is there any proof things that people would bring to you and say, listen, I see the devil all the time. I mean, it, how would you prove that? Or hell, how do you prove that? I know the book Heaven is for Real, and if you're wondering if I've read it, no, I have no interest to read it. But no one has written the book like Hell is for Real, have they? Has anyone like about a little boy who went to hell and then came back. And Now, could you imagine this? There's nothing like this. So if you don't want to believe in these things, it's pretty easy to kind of hide it in a box and say, I just don't believe it. They would fit in the same category, and I'm not saying they're not real. Get that? They're real. They're in Scripture. But it would fit in the same category as like the Loch Ness Monster or the Sasquatch or something like this. No one has evidence of this uh, other than like that picture of the person walking like this in a costume. No one has any of this stuff. So how do you prove to someone like hell is for real and, and um, uh, the devil is real? It's very difficult. But what about death? How hard is that to prove? How crazy would someone be come, that came to you and said, listen, I'm never going to die? Okay. You know, how would you feel? That's just ludicrous, isn't it? Because is, if Jesus doesn't come back in the next 125 years, you've got a 100% chance of dying. Has anyone ever met anyone who has not died? So if someone comes to you and says, death is not real, I don't believe in it, I, you'd be like, that is the craziest thing I have. So admittedly, as a society, we know that death is real. So how do we handle this? It's mostly awkward. Have you ever been to a funeral of a non-Christian? What are some of the comforts that people give as you go through the line or you hear it? They usually say a couple things. Um, they lived a full life. Have you heard that before? Uh, they died too young. They died too young. Uh, they died doing the things they love. So we got three comfort. How comforting is that for you for real? You simply go through the line, and for my non-Christian friends, I just say, I'm sorry. You know, and it's, it's heartbreaking. Why is it that we don't like to talk about death? Why is it that it's so awkward to go to funerals? In a way, doesn't it remind you of your own mortality? Like even when your pet dies, isn't it just like a reminder that, huh, I'm getting older so generally, people try to avoid death. I mean, that's a general rule of thumb. People sleep. Uh, people uh, get up and they feed themselves. I mean, most people that you know try and make sure they don't die by eating. Uh, so they eat things, they sleep. They, t they don't do inherently dangerous things because they don't want to die. Because there's a couple options you can do. Um, I hate mowing the lawn uh, no matter what. Uh, if it needs it or not, I mow it once a month. I mean, just like clockwork. I'm, I'm systematic. My neighbors would probably call me anal. Um, so once a month, I mow my lawn, and I just hate it. It's like my least favorite thing to do, and uh, I upgraded at least. I used to have a push mower because I was trying to be healthy at the same time, but that actually 
doesn't cut grass at all. So if you have a push mower that's just like one of those manual things, they don't do anything with the grass around here. It just laughs at you and you get done. You got to get the weed whacker out anyway. Now I have an electric mower because I'm cheap, not because I'm Mr. Green or something like that. But uh, so I've got this electric mower with the battery in it and I just hate doing it. So I got a couple options on a Saturday. My, my month has come up and it's now the Saturday. I'm supposed to mow the lawn. You can do a couple things, right? If, for things you hate. A, do it first thing, right? B, procrastinate as much as possible. So how many of you are just do the worst thing first? Okay, how many of you are procrastinators? How many of you like to die? So now you've got a couple options you can do with this, right? You can pick. I'm going to just get this out of the way because I'm going to die anyway, and I hate it. I mean, I hate dying, so I'm going to just die, or I'm going to push this off as long as possible. How many of you are in the category of I'm going to just do this as soon as possible? Hold on, I need my phone because we have to actually commit you. That's really, you know, we don't do that. This is not a good idea. If you're thinking I hate death, I might as well just get it out of the way. This does not make any sense because then you're dead, right? This does not make any sense. There's no other options. So most of us work pretty hard to not die or at least deny the fact that we are dying. So what are some of the things that we do as a culture to deny the fact that we're dying? A, we don't talk about it. You want to ruin a conversation at a dinner party, just start talking death. Our friends opened an orthodontist office. We were there. We did not bring up death as part of the, the small talk. So that would be first job interview. Anyone bring up death? Nobody, unless you work for a mortician or something like that. Then you kind of, that's the elephant in the room. You know, you're like, all right, we'll talk about it. But I mean, first date, anybody? Nobody, nobody talks about death on their first date? Might as well get it out of the way, right? I mean, this is not happening. Or elevator, you get in an elevator. You just start talking about death in small spaces. Anybody? No, this is really awkward and you don't do it. So we do a couple things. One, we don't talk about it. Or when we face the reality that our body is like shutting down, our body is getting older, we try and deny it a little bit. So there's a rule with things that I've told you before. It takes a decade to get used to how old you are. And I've also got another formula that's involved, and I've told you this before. If someone is within 10 years younger than you, you feel like you're about the same age. So this is this decade thing. So if someone, I'm 37, so someone like about 27-ish, I refer to them in my brain. I might not say it out loud. I'm like, yeah, we're about the same age. But what happens if someone's like two years older than you? You're like, they're so old. They're, they're way older than me. Like people refer, you know them, they're like, yeah, they're some of our older friends. So now I've actually got to switch this. I'm going to only hang out with people that are 10 years older than I am and two years younger. So this is going to be my new technique. So then everyone feels like they're the same age. That's my new technique. But right, we just try and deny it. What are some other things we do to try and deny death? A, we just don't talk about it. B, you know how much we spend on cosmetics? Now, I'm not just putting the, the ladies on. Uh, okay, I am on this one. Okay, $38 billion in America on cosmetics. $38 billion. That's a lot. Worldwide, it's a $426 billion industry when you start talking about uh, hair care and you start talking about cosmetics and beauty things. Now, I tried to do a little bit math, and it comes out to like $126 or something per person across the globe. However, I'm not sure if everyone spends that much per year on cosmetics. I'm guessing. I don't. So if you're one, or hair care products, I think I spend $3.50. So you've got yourself covered. Matthew McConaughey, accordingly, doesn't wear any or use any beauty things. So now you could actually get up to 300 and what is it, $78? Now ask yourself, do you spend more than that a year on hair care and beauty? And what's, what's the intent? I'm not really trying to put you on the spot, but what's the intent? 
there's an attempt that you look in the mirror and you think, I'm getting older. Somehow I have to look a little bit younger. You know how many plastic surgery uh, procedures there were in 2012 was the stat I saw? 14, you guys are pointing at each other, you're thinking about cosmetic surgery? 14.6 million in America. Now granted, some of these are just like someone's got a scar or something, they're trying to remove it. But 14.6 million, 250,000 augmentations, 250,000 nose jobs. And what's the intent? You're looking in the mirror saying, I'm getting older, and I don't like the fact that my brain doesn't commute, uh, compute at this. Look at that. There is perfect evidence right there. I couldn't even say the right word. Compute at the same level. You used to do math problems in your head if you're a math person. I cannot do the same addition that I used to be able to do. Now I have to think, and I kind of double-check with my phone. But it used to be just like that. You know, my kids would show me a number and I'd, I'd bust it out, no problem. It does not function like that. I can't think of names as quickly now. It used to be I would never forget names. When I'd meet people and I'd know them and I'd run into them years later, I'd know their name. That does not function like this. So you should know if I know your name, I'm working hard to do this. This is, this is not going to get easier and it's soon I'm going to have to write this all down. Do we like this? Do you like the fact you're getting older? How many people get like gray in their hair and their beard and they're like, finally? Nobody. We do whatever we can to try and get rid of the idea of death. Why? Let me ask you this. Uh, it, and I've brought this up before. Have you read the book Born to Run? I know some of you have read this. If you're thinking about running, you should read it. It's, really, it, it's from an evolutionary standpoint, so from that end, whatever. But, uh, but it has this idea that humans are kind of built to run long, long distances. So they use the example down in uh, South America of this tribe of people that runs forever. And you can actually outrun a deer. I think I told you that, right? Because deer are meant to like sprint, stop, sprint, stop. And if you just kind of slowly jog after a deer, its heart gets to the point of exhaustion and it'll fall over dead after like three hours. And you're thinking, who would want to run for three hours? If you're hunting a deer, you would. So this, this is this fact. So human beings are made to run. What happens, though, when you do something? Not every human being is made to run. Will you agree with that? Yeah. You're looking up here and you're like, you're built like an orangutan. I don't think you are made to run. And that's a true statement. Amy just ran um, the Run Wild up in Castle Pine. She got back. That's why she's in a runner gear and a hat. So she ran it this morning and she said, Jared, um, I'm built to navigate. It's like a Sesame Street episode. I'm built to navigate. Amy is built to run. So together, it's like a teamwork episode. We had to find this, where this trail is because she looked at the map. She's like, I have no idea. I'm like, you have no idea? That's really easy. I'll go with you. And I'm like, what did I just say? So for four miles, like on Tuesday, I think it was, we run this trail, and I'm dying, and I'm just, we're doing the hills and all the up and down, and we got all the right spots, so she's ready to go, and she's built to run. I am not built to run. Now think in your mind, what are some things that other people are wired to do that you're not wired to do? How many of you are math people? See, I don't mind math. I don't mind math. Language people, and some people are like, you got to shoot emails, and it's like, ugh. And then you show your spouse, and they're like, yeah, it looks good. And they quick fix it all. <laughs> Have you ever had that? So some people are that. How many of you are built to be accountants? Let's just say a prayer of thanks that there are people built to be accountants. Because this is not me. I could not imagine if I was an accountant. How about singing? Like some, of you, some people can sing, no problem. And some of you, when I go to churches, they shut the mic off. That's what happens. By, by churches, I mean my own church. That's what happens. Right? What happens, though, when you're doing things you're not wired to do? Have you ever done that? You've been jealous of, like, your best friend who can draw, and you're like, well, then I'm going to draw. And they're really good at it, and they don't even practice, and then you try it, and it's really bad, and you get frustrated. Has this happened to anyone? 
or a sport, you're like, hey, my friend's really good at ping pong, I'm going to get into ping pong, and then suddenly, like, you're doing it, and you're like, my friend's really good at ping pong, and I'm not. It's really what happens when you do things you're not wired to do. Psychologically, uh, physically, it's just, you get these symptoms of, like, depression. So if you're doing a job that you hate, I'm guessing that you're doing activities that you're not wired to do. Does this make sense? So if you hate your job, or if you like your job, I'm guessing you do activities that you're wired to do. Does this make sense? Now, why do I bring this up? Why do we hate death? You were not wired to die. Do you ever think about that? God put Adam and Eve on this planet. He puts Adam and Eve on the planet and with the intention they're going to live forever. And now you and I, because of sin, live with the consequences. We're not wired to get sore and have pain and suffer and wake up and think I'm getting older and older. We're not wired for that. We are meant to live forever, and yet here we sit, suffering through death. This is, we're doing the very thing that we're not wired to do. So is there a reason you hate death? Is it okay to hate death? I think it's perfectly fine because this is not normal. This is not wired for you. You should hate it. And when your friends die, how many of you have lost someone you like and love this last year? I'm guessing just about everybody. And when you hear the news, you can either put it in a box or you can say, I hate death. Death is stupid. I, I just hate it. Because now someone I love, someone I care about is not here anymore. They're gone. Even something is like a pet and you're thinking, there's like two days ago, here I am hanging out with someone or a being that I like and now it's gone, suffering the consequences of death. And whose fault is it? Scripture even says it's Adam's fault. Adam and Eve, they bring sin in the world, and now we have to suffer the consequences. You know who else who hates death? Jesus. We had this long reading. Why would I take a reading that's 44 verses long? As you're, you can't even tell how long it is, as it just keeps going and going. Like, why did I bring this up? Because Jesus goes to visit his friend, and he gets there, this friend that he loves and is concerned about, and all these people are crying. And this is the God who created human beings. This is the God who designed human beings. This is the God who created the world with the intention you would live forever. And when he sees the consequences of sin, what does it say? The shortest verse in the Bible. He weeps. He hates it. This is the guy who can do something about it, and he hates it. Here's what's fascinating. You are not wired to die, and that's why we hate it. Just like a job, if you're not wired to do that thing or an activity or a hobby, if you're not wired, you hate it, and it just makes you sad and awful. We hate death because we're not wired for this. You're a human being, though, created. Jesus and God, Jesus, I mean, God, that's what I mean as a whole, is he's eternal. He's, so he has no beginning he has no end. He's the one who sustains life. He's the one who makes life. He's the one who makes everything function. And when he sees death, what does he do about it? He says, I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to take on human blood so I can die. You think it's totally abnormal for you, but we've been witnessing this forever. God from eternity says, I want to die. I want to die. I'm going to die so that you can do what? Just pause that for a second. What happens when you do the things you're wired to do? Some of you, it's knitting. Some of it's like my daughters. One is a creative kind of uh, writer, not a drawer. 
I may or may not be talking about you, maybe. One of my daughters is uh, mathematical and she loves that stuff. The other one can do math, you know? I, again, I'm not talking about you, honey. So what happens, though, but she can write, you know, she can write stories that are fascinating, and she says, hey, Dad, can you read this story? And I read it, and I'm like, I never wrote stuff like this, and I have to keep the straight face. I'm like, well done. You know, it's just like Babe the movie. Good job. <laughs> you know, this is it. I'm so excited, but what happens when you do the things you're wired to do? You find delight. It's like chariots of fire. Remember, he runs, and it says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. You have found things in your life you're wired to do. And maybe it's spreadsheets and everyone rolls their eyes when you bust out the spreadsheets, but you love them. Maybe it's doing math problems. Maybe it's drawing. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's mowing my lawn once a month on Saturdays. <laughs> right? You have found things you like to do. Maybe it's not running, but there's probably other exercises. You're like, when I do this, I think it's awesome. I love it. And I like mountain biking. I like skiing. You like, hopefully the rain transforms into snow and you, you find joy, right? Why did Christ take what was so unnatural for him and say, I'm willing to die so you can do the things you were wired to do. God wired you to live forever and God says, I'm willing to die so you can live. I'll give you one more that he's done. Uh, you're meant to live in community as human beings, right? If you haven't figured this out, it, if, if you've ever been alone for a while, like on a business trip or something like this, and you, you realize this is really about being around other people, when you're not by your family, you're kind of sad. I went to the seminary where I had all kinds of great memories. For four years, they asked if I'd go do a presentation. I was like, oh, this is awesome. I love the sem. It was the most lonely two days of my whole life. And you're saying, really? All the students, they go to class, they go to work, they're gone. So I'm sitting in like this dorm room thing going, this is awful. And it was lonely. I'm like trying to call my wife, but she's hanging out with the kids. And I'm like, this is awful because we're meant to be in community, which comes with two things. One, if you think you can do church in your living room, you can by yourself, but you really it's not the same thing as being around other people. Same reason we have grow groups. and I'm not, This is not just a plug for grow groups, but there's something to it. To be around other believers and have a sense of community that they pray for me, they believe the same thing. There's something cool about that. When Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, do you think he's making cubicles? Cubicles are designed by the devil. We all know that. So the, the, in hell, there's cubicles somehow with eight sides, with eight annoying coworkers. I don't know how that would work, but they're octagon shaped. You know, that's what it's going to be like. But in heaven, God says, I'm preparing a home for you. I'm preparing a place for you. And we're going to have a party and a feast, and it's going to be fantastic because we have community and we live forever. So what has Christ done? He has done what is contrary to him, died to take your sins away so that you can do what you're wired to do which is live forever in community with him and be together as a group of people. Amen.